Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. There's a reason why these women went to Jesus's grave to honor what they thought was going to be his dead body because he honored their bodies in a culture and a time that people, men did not do that. So um, I think the church could really be different in terms of how we treat one another and our bodies in good and holy ways. And it's painful how far short we've been falling lately. Are you on the edge of burnout? Do you feel like you're being driven to do more, being pushed to your limits? Or maybe you're the one pushing yourself to do it all. If that's the case, you need this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Hi, I'm Paul Pro from Faith Radio. And Gabe, for those feeling overwhelmed or at least are seriously looking at finding balance in their lives, there is a deeper conversation to be had. And this week, you're going to have it, a conversation about what God's design for us as humans, especially our God-designed limitations are. Tell us about this week's guest. Author Kelly Capick is someone who's got a PhD from King's College, University of London, Reformed Theological Seminary, Wheaton College. I mean, tons of the academic accolades. But he's also the award-winning author of more than 15 books, editor. He's worked with Brian Fickert and many others that have been around our community for so many years. And what I love about the conversation we're going to have, and this is how you'll hear me frame this, is in our world today... There's a real push for people to be beyond human. It's it's to push beyond into this new frontier. We talked about it a little bit at this last year's Culture Summit. We talked about the topic of transhumanism with Dr. John Lennox. And many of you may not be aware of transhumanism. It's a topic you'll probably become much more familiar with in the years ahead. And certainly we're going to do our best to keep you educated on the trend lines. But the idea is, is a merger of humanity with technology. And there's a vision in our world that says the more humans can absorb technology, can blend with technology, can use technology, not just on our iPhones, which are maybe in the palm of our hand, but perhaps as part of our bodies. And if we could do more of that, we could live longer, we could be better, we could accomplish more. And it's a very attractive vision. The only problem is it runs against much of what we understand life to be about and what it means to be human and how God's designed us. And so you might be hearing that, and that might hit you the wrong way. And you're like, no, I love this. This is where we're supposed to go. And you may believe that, but we're going to have a conversation about that today where we're going to talk with this author whose book says, You're Only Human, and that's the title, subtitle, How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News. And we're going to talk about the limitations we have as humans. And are those there on purpose? Now, this theologically is going to be a critical issue for each of us to wrestle with. Has God designed us with limits? Are these limits good? Should we change those limits? Should we expand and start to leverage technology to accomplish more than what a human being could ever accomplish? Those are going to be the questions of the next decades. And we're going to start that conversation here. So let's listen in now. Kelly, welcome to the Q Ideas podcast. It's so great to have you on. 
No, thanks. It's good to be with you. Well, listen, your book that you have written and this topic is so important, and I'm so excited, especially at the beginning of a year, to be talking about this idea of being human. Hmm. I, I think in our society, man, we're losing touch with what it means to be human, and especially people of faith and Christians in the church. I think this is one of the great, important causes of the next decade and probably on further than that is to remind the world and remind our fellow travelers what it is to be human. So tell me, though, your motivation. How did you get into deciding, hey, I'm going to write a book called You're Only Human? Yeah. Yeah. I love how you you um, kind of brought us into the discussion today, because I, I actually do think this is a way into conversations with non-Christians and others um, in terms of making this ancient faith very relevant today. But in terms of your actual question, I've been wrestling with this for honestly 20 years or more. And, and part of it's uh, my own journey. I'm someone who loves productivity and efficiency and all of that. But part of my PhD in the late 90s uh, overseas was studying the humanity of Jesus from Puritan, uh, John Owen, and really exploring just how important it is that he was fully human in ways that we we all say, no, he is really human, but but when you press that, we're pretty uncomfortable with it. And then tying that together with really exploring the doctrine of creation. And again, I, I work in a lot of evangelical circles, for example, and, you know, I tell them, I don't think we have a very strong view of creation. And they say, no, 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 we talk about it all the time. And I say, what are you talking about? You're normally in our circles, we talk about how old the earth is or how God made it. And those are just not the most important questions. And the fact that we've been consumed with them for the last 150 years has kind of distracted us from some really important ones about what does it mean to be human. So anyways, I'm I'm interested in exploring that the easiest way for me to capture all of that and the heart of what I'm interested in is I think Christians have confused finitude and sin. Yeah. Finitude is a fancy word of just saying you're a creature. You have limits of mind. You know, you can only know so much. You can only be so many places. You can only do so much. And I think we feel guilty a lot when we shouldn't. Um, I'm not denying the reality of sin, but I think it's really affecting our lives. And there's a reason why we're exhausted and live with a low level of guilt. I just threw out a lot at you right there. <laughs> no, I love that you brought up finitude. And this, uh, this, this is so important right now because the conversation in our culture around technology, around artificial intelligence, yep. around how do we enhance what it means to be human. And there's a whole mentality out there that believes, truly believes that we can enhance and evolve as humans the more we start to incorporate technology that would remove limits and barriers from our life. And you are coming at that and kind of cutting across that and saying, wait a second, I actually think limits, and this is your subtitle, limits, how your limits reflect God's design and why that's good news. And and so I think everybody listening is going to be fascinated to hear you describe this a little bit more because it's so relevant to the conversations we're having to have as a society about what does our future look like? What will it mean to be human. Talk more about these limits that God's given us and, and how those actually bring richness to our life. That's great. Yeah, because I think, again, circling back to kind of where you started and then with this comment, we can all, Christian, non-Christian, we all feel it. And it's, you know, January when you and I are talking, and the way we all try and address it is through greater time management. <laughs> we try and push for productivity and efficiency. And, um, the Christian tradition argues we were made to be creatures, 
And creatures by their very nature have limits. And those aren't a problem. That's part of the good way God made us. So, for example, there's a chapter in the book on on humility and and have we misunderstood it? And I think I think we have, because when you ask most people, why should we be humble? They'll basically say, because we're sinners. And again, I'm a theologian. I don't deny sin. I, you know, <laughs> that, that's not in question. But actually, I think that is a problematic foundation for why we should be humble. The reason why we should be humble is because we were made as creatures. So even if there were no sin and fall, we were made to be dependent on God, on others, and on the earth. And that is humility, recognizing our dependence. And getting to the good part of that is we don't have to view one another as constantly competing with one another. It means that we were made to delight in one another, to celebrate each other's differences and gifts, rather than thinking we as independent, autonomous people need to carry all the weight, do all the stuff. And and so I think humility is a very practical example. Rightly understood, being humble is joyful. It means celebrating others. It, 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 anyways, does that make some sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I, I don't know if you know this about me or my family, Kelly, but uh, Rebecca and I, we have two of our four children have Down syndrome. Mm. Our, our oldest son, who's 20, and then we adopted a little girl who's now eight. And every day I encounter this conversation, right? I encounter a couple of children that their limitations maybe are a little more obvious, Um I don't think they realize they have any limitations, mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I compare it to maybe a able-bodied child or something, I, I can see some of those differences. And yet the joy with which they live their lives mm-hmm. is amazing. And the simplicity. And I think so many people don't always have that kind of encounter every day. So, so we, we can quickly get caught up in a narrative that says up and to the right, be more efficient, be more productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when we start to apply that within the Christian community, right, it starts to really alter and create a counterfeit of, of who God's, how he's made us to function. But how do you see this conversation working out though with our neighbors? Because I think it's refreshing for people to go, I'm a creature. I'm actually meant to have limitations. Like I think it takes some pressure off, maybe remove some of the anxiety, but it flies completely in the face of this new narrative that's developing that you can actually do more than you ever imagined through technology, your phone, mm. You this new implant that Elon's working on, right? Yeah. It's like, you're, you're, we're going to be able to do everything. So how how is it good news? And I know you talk about it, it's good news. So how, how is this going to be good news in a conversation with a non-believer who wants to have eternal life, doesn't want to die, and the world's going to sell it to them that they can do it? Yeah. Well, boy, that's great. And you just brought up a lot. And um, yeah, one of the questions is just what what is life? And I so appreciate you bringing up your, your kids. Um, in the book, I tell the story of Charles Colson, and a lot of people know Colson. He was the hatchet man for, for Nixon and then became a Christian and received like 14 honorary doctorates. And, you know, anyways, that high power, really push himself kind of thing. And his grandson had Downs. I think it was Downs. I yeah, it was like a, he did have a special need. Yeah, that Max was, had. Yeah. And Colson didn't know how to relate to him. And finally, he he had the flu really bad one time. And so he was in Florida, just laid out on the couch for like three or four days. And his daughter and grandson were there and he was like six or something. And so all he could do was watch his grandson all day. It opened up life to him. And the family would say that it was only Max that could get his grandfather to slow down. 
And part of what's interesting is, you know, going to the grocery store with Max, you can't, this isn't a five minute venture. It could be a two hour thing. Right. And part of it's because they want you to be present. They want you to see things and, and explore things and do things. So anyways, I actually think it's an example of where Christians haven't always thought really well about um, whether we use the language of disability or some of these other things. The reality is, how what does it mean to be human? And it's interesting, we have often understood that in terms of IQ levels, even in Christian circles, and that's so problematic. The Christian view of what does it mean to be human is far more about communion, mm-hmm. not about your IQ or something like that. So what does it mean to be to our neighbors? The reason it's good news is that we can actually invest in relationships, but not all relationships. And so part of it is us learning to be present with people. Um, I think it is a desperate need in our day to actually discover someone being present with another person. It's amazing. I mean, you know this and your listeners will know this, but do this as an uncomfortable test case. Next time you spend time with a couple, you go out to dinner or you spend some time with someone, notice how often they ask you questions. (laughs) And it's very painful because it doesn't happen a lot. Uh, And when it does, it's because we have something we want to say. So learning to be human is about learning what we don't know, learning to be attentive and invest in people. Anyways, this is obviously a huge, huge topic. So, Well, and I love kind of pushing into how it's relating to the counter narratives that are going on. And you can tell by my line of questioning, but like one of your chapters, you talk specifically about, you know, why physical touch matters. And yeah. that's the other thing a lot of our humanity is dealing with, and, and especially the next generation where so much of the digital world has become life and friendship and social and it involves very little physical touch. And sometimes in physical spaces, there's anxiety and there's awkwardness. Mm. And, and then you have Facebook introducing the metaverse and wanting to push us even further into isolation and experiences that don't actually create physical touch. They create this um, illusion of community mm. or illusion of being together. And and they really believe this is better for the world. And again, you're saying, nope, that's actually that's not how we were made. And so could you describe the physical touch aspect here and, and even apply it now? Like what, what, what would it mean for us to think about this more seriously and how we work with one another, how we mm. engage at home and with family, with friends? Yeah, no, there, there's two of the 10 chapters really focus on embodiment and, and the importance of our body. So I'm a college professor. And when I talk to alum, this has happened quite often. They will tell me about how difficult that first year after graduation was. And one of the refrains I have heard a number of times from both men and women is they don't think about this as college students, but all of a sudden they realized that they, when they left and they moved to a new city and got a new job and got an apartment, they could go not just days, but sometimes weeks and longer without any meaningful physical touch. And it really unnerved them. Because they didn't even know they needed it. Because when you're in college, you walk across campus, people are hugging each other, they're crawling, you know, flying around on the grass, and, you know, it's all fun. But all of a sudden, they move into an apartment to be adults, and they live on their own, and they go to work, and it's a professional environment, and they are trying to find a church and community, and they can go a long time without touch. And actually part of what you're saying, we're made for that. And so what happens is it goes sideways because we can feel we need that. So it's an interesting challenge we're in right now because the church, I think we need to expose physical 
abuse and all forms of abuse. And the church and all of her denominations has been exposed for covering up and all kinds of terrible things. But it is an overreaction to then pretend like physical touch and care doesn't matter. And I explored again, looking at the importance of the holy kiss in scripture. And we kind of laugh about it because no, we, but that was really important. And in the ancient church, th- there's evidence on earth where they would say, basically, you're, you weren't sure if the prayers of the corporate gathering were accepted if it wasn't concluded with a, with the holy kiss, right? And they, they, they put up certain ways to protect, but it was a way of honoring bodies. You know, um, there's a reason why these women went to Jesus's grave to honor what they thought was going to be his dead body because he honored their bodies in a culture and a time that people, that men did not do that. So um, I think the church could really be different in terms of how we treat one another and our bodies um, in good and holy ways. And it's painful how far short we've been falling lately. Well, and, and in this current time where there's been a lot of isolation and mm. disease kind of fear and virus spread or whatever. And and it's led to policies that have said, hey, if you're older, you should just stay away from people. You know, you should you should stay alone. And I, I have family members that I've had these conversations with. It's like, hey, we can get together, but we're going to have to we're going to have to not touch. We're going to have to, mm-hmm. you know, eat dinner 10 feet away from each other at the same table and wear masks and, you know, all, all those kinds of things that ultimately don't allow for connection and mm. and at least not physical connection. They, you could be in presence with one another, but this touch piece is what we're talking about. And I, and I think of my great-grandmother who passed away mm. a, a year ago and had to do that in isolation, you know, in a nursing home where no one could visit, no touch, nobody could be there. 96 years old, vibrant mm. person, but you take away touch, you take away presence and you start to do another damage, you know, to humanity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, I love that you're, you're speaking about that. Let me, let me just move to, to, so when you get to the conclusion of your thesis here in your book, you talk about the role of the church. And mm. I know today there's a lot of people who are getting comfortable not being a part of a church or, yeah. you know, I'm Christian, but I don't really, I haven't really found the right church or I'm, I'm kind of tired of the big church. And so I just, I'm going to do something small on my own. And mm. that's a whole nother discussion about what the church is and what constitutes it or not. But, but for your argument, you're saying, Hey, part of being human is to be part of community and, and to be, being with those who are others. And, and so could you just describe so many of our leaders here are leading churches, leading institutions that are, yeah. that are connected to the church, why, why the church is going to matter maybe even more than it ever has for the season we're entering? Yeah, no, that is a great question. And as you're hinting at, we kind of live in a time where institutions by and large are viewed with great suspicion for lots of legitimate uh, reasons. And what happens in this context, though, is you have institutions being deeply questioned and viewed with suspicion, and at the same time, a greater awareness of needs in the world, calls for uh, social justice, you know, concerns about racism, concerns about uh, mistreatment of women, concerns about uh, injustices across the world, all of these kind of things, right? Various things. So now we have, and and a greater awareness, including in Christian circles, a greater awareness that biblically the kingdom of God is earthy in a sense of our faith should matter in the here and now. And the indications that Jesus is Messiah is the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the poor have the good news preached to them. This this king 
has earthly significance. Anyways, the reason why I mention all of that is so you have, on the one hand, people very nervous about institutions. On the other hand, having a heightened sense of the needs. And so what happens is we have a ton of burnout because people see the problems and then try and solve them, but they try and solve them as individuals. And what's amazing about the church is take one example in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. And the, and the thing in that passage that se- separates the sheep and the goats are that the sheep are, the, the, are those who visit the prisoner, who clothe the naked, uh, who care for the, you know, those marginalized and needy. Well, people read that and realize Jesus is serious, and then they try and do it all themselves. And that will crush you. Or people read that and go, ah, no, nah, we don't have to do any of that. That's just symbolic. That's not true either. What's beautiful about the church is the church does it. But what we discover is it takes the entire body of Christ to be the one Christ. Yes. <laughs> In other words, Christ, it, it takes all of us to fulfill Matthew 25. And so I, I take comfort every day that I am helping the person who's been re- rescued from sex trafficking. And I am helping, uh, I am praying for the the kid in the hospital and I am evangelizing in Nepal and I am doing all these things, not because I'm doing them, but because I am part of the church. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think when we get a new vision for that, it, it obviously creates the opportunity for us to be a counterculture in, in a lot of ways yeah. in a world where people are forgetting some of those important things. I mean, in this book, where you're trying to help people understand, like, you can't do it all. You're only human. Mm. Uh, I love you in the book talking about rest. You talk about mm. Sabbath. You talk about, you know, it's kind of the last thing you feel like doing when you're in a world where you're like, I'm not accomplishing enough. And Rebecca, my wife, and I talk a lot about this on our Rhythms for Life podcast. Where we talk a lot about that rhythm of rest being so critical mm-hmm. for all of us as human beings. God's designed it into the rhythm of of the world, and yet it's the quickest thing to go. And everything's competing for that time. Um, would you would you just describe as we close today uh, how people going into January feeling motivated? They've got a bunch on their to do list. They want to accomplish so much in 2022. Yeah, but why rest is so essential? You know, it's funny because people we think about Christianity and what must distinguish it is all the things you're supposed to do, but actually in the ancient church. One of the most distinguishing features of being a Christian and part of the church was the things you didn't have to do. For example, you didn't have to have sex with just anybody. And, you know, I know we talk about sex all the time, but in the ancient world where women and young adults were constantly abused, it was radical. And Beth Felker Jones and others uh, in their work talked through this, but it's radical. The church and, and the faith says you don't have to do that. Right. Well, similarly, another radical part that I think is still radical in our day is Christianity says you don't have to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, sleep is an act of faith. It is a spiritual discipline. And one day in seven is devoted to worship and rest. And that is countercultural. And uh, I think it's actually a beautiful vision it's not about legalism. I think this is, is a vision we can give the world uh, that invites them in. Well, 
Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And Gabe's conversation there with Kelly Capick of Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, talking about his latest book released just last month called You're Only Human, How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News. Gabe, I've not read the book yet, but this is the second interview I've heard Kelly do around the book. And I got to tell you, as we think of God's design for us as humans, both individually and corporately, what he says is so freeing. This is one of those you're going to want on your shelf. It's a it's a read that's going to take you a minute because you're going to have to process this. There's some new counter ideas coming at you that you're not hearing from a lot of places. But I encourage you to have it to, to be a book that you could reference as you keep thinking through technology, humanity, what this means, where our future is going. Uh, I think Kelly's points about how God's uniquely designed us as creatures and how we do have limitations. We are creatures. We're not robots. And because of that, we're going to have to figure out what does embodiment mean and what is it uniquely that we bring? What's the contribution we as the church, we as Christians can contribute to a world that's becoming more interested in AR, VR, metaverses, right? Everything you could imagine that starts to remove us from embodiment and moves technology more into purview for our for our lives. So let's consider that get this book if you're interested in this topic and pursuing it further. We certainly will be pursuing it further. Ooh, does that mean we'll hear more from Kelly Capick this spring? As we're now two and a half months away from this year's Culture Summit, Q's biggest annual event. Gabe, we have a few minutes left this show, so tell us what you can about this year's event. Put down dates April 28-29, Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to be hosting our next Culture Summit. You're going to be seeing much more information about that in the coming days and weeks. But pencil it in, join us. We still have seats remaining, tables. It's going to be an amazing experience together here for those two days, but also the opportunity virtually for you to participate and to host it and to host a a community of people in your own community, your neighborhood, your church, your organization, to come together to not only listen to talks, but to then dialogue about what do these mean for us? What does this mean for our community? What does it mean for us to be a part of renewing and restoring in a world that's feeling a little more broken down than it has maybe in the last few years? And so you're going to want to be a part of that, and you can't miss that conversation as a leader in your community, as a leader in the church, as a leader in this country. So we look forward to continuing to learn together. And until next time, we hope you have a great week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.